What's up Friday? Yeah, feeling it right now. I'm excited. We have Daniel Jeremiah. We're going to talk draft. We're going to talk LSU-Bama. We're going to talk hypothetical LSU against Ohio State, his quarterback rankings, the depth of receivers, story time as well. When they drafted a player and then didn't draft him while they were on the phone with him. So uh, good stuff from NFL Network and former front office exec Daniel Jeremiah. Thank you for listening to the Rosillo podcast because today's episode of the Ryan Rosillo show is brought to you by State Farm. If you're fumbling with insurance, State Farm agents are here to help because with over 19,000 agents that are local to you and available to help, whether you connect in person, by phone, or through the State Farm mobile app, agents are here to help. So go with the one that has coverage and agents you can count on. State Farm, talk to an agent today. Kyle, you're going to have to check me on my breathing on this one. Are you cool with that? Yeah, I can handle that. Why? Uh, because why is that? I'm I'm a little worked up with this Miles Garrett stuff, oh. and I did not tweet about it last night because I left that to I would say everybody else, <laughs> and you did not disappoint world. Okay, so let's start with this: the Browns get a primetime win against a division rival where they look like they're the better team, and thus going with the hey, how about those sneaky Steelers alive in the playoffs technically? after the end of last weekend, and they looked bad, and the Browns looked good. But we all know the play. We're talking about Miles Garrett swinging his helmet at Mason Rudolph's head. Excuse me, Mason Rudolph's helmet at Mason Rudolph's head after what looked to be like a late hit sort of by Garrett, and then everybody getting upset, and then it turns into this thing, and we got all sorts of content last night, and we got all sorts of content today. We are in a, we are in a just absolute zone uh, i mean i can't i'm trying to think of what this is like this is like the biggest market rally ever for people to do what i do and i am just as guilty of it so here is my opinion on all of this stuff as well this is why people that commit murder take a chance with a jury okay based solely on the responses i've seen on this garrett issue if i were living in alaska on a gold claim with one other guy without another tent a hundred miles from us and I shot and killed them, and they were like, how do you plead? I'd be like, "Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Not guilty. There's got to be one of the 12 they're going to believe me. Did you see the Miles Garrett tweets? I'd be like, well, what do you mean, dude? Like, he's dead. Your roommate shot in the head. It was just you there. And I'm like, could have been a passerby. I'd be like, no, there are no passerbys. There's no tracks. Nothing. Ma'am, you don't know that. Yeah, but it was your gun. They tested you had gun residue on your hand. It, it proved that you had shot a gun that day. How do you know I wasn't skeet shooting? Because there were no skeets. There are no clays is the way I should frame it. You're like, well, it didn't say it was any good. You have text messages from you to him saying, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. You're like, no, that's just a prank. We pull on each other. We're always sending each other death threats over text. Just hoping somebody would believe it. Because what happened is, is we do this thing. And I don't know if this is just the United States, but it feels like it. I'm going to keep my expertise to the country that I've been living in my entire life. But we do this thing where the person to blame is staring at us right in the face. And yet we go, okay, I, mm, I get it. But is there any way I can blame a bunch of other people first? We do it all the time. I'm not telling you to root for the NCAA. I'm not telling you the NCAA is right. I push back on destroying it all and not wanting any college football or a basketball tournament. Maybe that's me being selfishly motivated, and that's okay because I'm admitting it. But when a player who is a recruit or ends up enrolling breaks a very obvious rule, taking cash either through himself, a handler, a relative, an AAU coach, any way you want to frame it, when you do that and you get caught and then you're not eligible, you still went ahead and broke that rule. But what people do, because everyone, again, hates the NCAA, they blame the NCAA system for saying, hey, the kid took the money. When it's like, okay, I get it. I get how you can come to that conclusion. But you still were aware of the rule and you knew what the rule was. And, you know, a lot of people don't get caught, but some people do get caught. So can you just go ahead and blame everybody else first? And what is always my favorite thing is if you just paid the players, then these secret payments and this legal recruiting stuff wouldn't happen. That's never true, by the way. Baseball is one of my favorite ones, okay? Because instead of blaming the player who decides to take a needle and inject himself in the ass with a PED, we're like, yeah, but Bud Selig. Now, I don't like Bud Selig at all. The more I've read about him, the more I've heard about him, the more I go back and look at his own timeline of decisions, he was not a good commissioner. He gave teams to guys he liked. 
That was it. He just was like, I like you. I don't like you. Here's a baseball team. Every year he told us he no longer wanted to be MLB commissioner. That went over for like two plus decades as he continued to give himself bigger and bigger raises and gave himself one of the most amazing exit compensation packages with the amount of money that he's making every year, absolutely doing nothing. Like, hey, dude, you weren't president. You ran baseball. Now, his argument is always, we expanded the playoffs. Cool. <laughs> you know, we had more than four teams in the playoffs. Congratulations. He says, look at the revenues. Hey, guess what? Look at the revenues everywhere with sports on television. Everybody made more money. That's what's happened the last two decades, okay? It wasn't you. You happen to be in charge, just like every one of these conference commissioners that's patting themselves on the backs for saying, look at all this extra revenue that we've generated. No, TV rights to sports became more and more important because of technology, not because of your brilliance. But Selig was always blamed, I thought, more than the players for the PED steroid era. As if he was complicit. Now, if you want to say he knew and he was complicit and the owners were counting their money in their back room and all this stuff, okay, I'll give you some of that. But it's a lot like the kid who's messed up and then you look at the parent and the parent's like, look, man, the first time your kid comes home drunk in high school, what am I supposed to do? Never let him out of the house again? <laughs> like, it's a gradual process to be like, hey, you know, Toby's up to something. Hey, Toby's <laughs> sleeping out more. Hey, Toby is missing for three days. Hey, how come Toby's outside of the Circle K with his shirt off and a neck tattoo that says ride or die and it's misspelled, okay? Like there's there's levels to this stuff where if you're the commissioner of baseball or you're an owner, the first time you hear a PED rumor in 1998, like what are you supposed to do? And again, in a way to try to find a way to blame someone else, so many people have been like, yeah, but baseball should have done what about the guy injecting himself what about the guy who's getting drugs illegally who decides i'm going to take it and again peds don't even really bother me the way we talked about the argument and who to blame always bothered me and if we're going to continue to do the blame thing it's even more on the players when you look at donald fair who was their rep who in 2002 they came to an agreement remember the first ped agreement in baseball it was 2002 first positive test counseling second positive test 15 games, then 25 games. The fourth one was like 100 games. It took you until your fifth positive steroid test to then be banned for life. And I'm not one of those guys that says, hey, the first positive test, there's a lifetime ban. That cleans it all up because I would worry about false positives, okay? Because it does happen despite the fact that every single person in the history of the world has taken a bad protein shake that got popped for this stuff. So instead of just saying, hey, you know what? Can't we just look at the guy that did the thing wrong and put more of the blame on him? No, we are obsessed with assigning blame elsewhere when it is very easy to figure out who is to blame. And in the case of the Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph back and forth, Garrett took it up a notch, and he's the one to blame. Okay, if I bump into you at a bar and you say what, and then I say what, and we stare at each other, and then I smash you across the forehead with a beer bottle, guess who upped the stakes? Me. Guess who everybody's going to be a little bit more on? Me. And I can't say, well, hey, it was crowded near the bathroom. If you take my parking spot and I stab you, guess who's in more trouble? Me, because I stabbed you. And I can't sit there and then blame the city for not having enough parking spaces. Like, well, you know, and that's how it would play out on Twitter. Be like, well, you know, look, Rosillo stabbed a guy. But, you know, there's after five o'clock, it's tough to find a meter, you know. So now what do we do, right? Because we had all sorts of guys tweeting about this. Schefter's tweet where it was just one word, assault. I think there was a period at the end, too. I didn't know what to do with that. I just was like, what? Like, okay. Um, Ravel, who somehow made it about kids not wanting to play, uh, play football and then him deciding <laughs> that he wasn't going to have babies, have Twitter. I, I don't know. I give up on that one. I didn't know what to do. And then Peter King did this thing where after decades of covering the game, now it's like, hey, you know what? Parents out there, hit me up. Now, maybe there's a column coming. I didn't know, but there was just a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff out there. And someone right now in the car is going, Ryan, how have you gone this long and not made it about race? I apologize for not making it about race sooner because we all know that's where this was headed. And thank God it wasn't, a Bosa clobbering Lamar Jackson over the head with a helmet because I don't even know what the TV shows would be like today. But there was, I think, one reporter. You know, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to pile on. The reporter did delete the tweet where the first thing that this reporter said was, well, we don't know what Mason Rudolph said to Miles Garrett to have Garrett act that way. 
And look, I get that Rudolph was trying to pull Garrett's helmet off first, but Garrett crossed the line. Um, Arian Foster, a.k.a. Bobby Fino, brought up a point, which is very hard as a white guy to tell the black guy he's wrong about because there is some truth to this, that we embrace fighting in baseball. We embrace fighting in hockey, certainly. But then we have this weird thing when it's a basketball fight where it's like, oh, a black guy for the NBA. The malice of the palace is not anything any multi-billion dollar business would want to have happen. But if I'm a black guy, I'm like, how come Mike Milbury hitting a fan in the head with his own shoe and crawling into the stands is funny? And how come Steven Jackson and Ron Artest is the worst thing in the history of sports? Now, maybe it's time. Because I do believe there's a Cedric Maxwell play when he was at the Celtics in Philadelphia where he went into the stands and we had a blast with that in Boston. But at the time, maybe that was just a Boston-Philly thing. I think time can heal some of these things. But what I don't want to do, even though I resist a lot of the mob mentality and I certainly resist a lot of the race talk, I don't want to be the white guy that's telling the black guy, you know what, you're wrong that we look at all fights differently because we do look at them differently. And I don't know what the answer to that one is. But I think in this case, with so many former black NFL players screaming at Miles Garrett that he should be suspended, not just for the rest of the season and even longer. And right now, I don't want to, you know, it becomes a contest of who hates the act the most. If Miles Garrett's suspended for the rest of the season, I'm okay with that. If he's suspended in the next year, no. If we give this thing a week and cool down, do we think it should even be the full season? I don't know. People are saying they've never seen this in the history of the game. That's also not true. The Antonio Smith play against Richie Incognito, which isn't that long ago, where he rips Incognito's helmet off, swings it at him. That could have been awful, all right? It could have been way worse. So we have seen some things like this. But what I will push back on is that because, and this becomes kind of that woke NFL thing that I don't even think is about race anymore, it's like, well, wait a minute, if you're watching the NFL, then you are complicit and you can't call out this act. That's bullshit. Because if I like the UFC and I'm super into MMA and I like guys getting knocked out, does that mean that if another guy decides to rip out the other dude's eyeball that I have to be okay with that because I hit yes on a pay-per-view order? Of course not. Why is it that when it's really reasonable easy to define stuff. We're always trying to blur what the actual lines are. The reasonable person says, hey, I like football. I like tackling and I'm way more aware of concussions and I don't like jacked up segments as much. That is an evolving football fans own, I don't know, consumption of the product, right? But it doesn't mean that you have to sit there and go, well, because I like tackling and I like the physical nature of football. I also like when people rip off the other dude's helmets and try to smash them in the face with it. That's not a blurred line. That's a really easy thing to identify. This is this, and I'm okay, and this is the part that's wrong. And I don't have to like it all because I'm on my couch at 8 Eastern watching Thursday Night Football. So you got it from all angles on this one. And I'm not telling you I know who should be suspended what and now it's turning in a little bit more of a how come Mason Rudolph thing isn't suspended. And then it gets circled back to the race thing again where it's like, oh, Rudolph isn't suspended. It sounds very similar to when Josh Brown wasn't suspended by the Giants, the kicker, with his history of domestic violence accusations and everything that went on there. It was a really, really complicated, weird story. And guess what? It became about race that he wasn't suspended when I'm like, could the NFL be this dumb to make it look this bad because of perceptions here? And then he was suspended. And then you're like, OK, but it was still too late. But then Tyreek Hill wasn't suspended because the NFL couldn't come up with anything conclusive. So then what? So then what? So instead of making it about who we should also blame, instead of making it about societal issues, how about we just, for a small change here, make it the simple thing? And the simple thing is a guy swung a helmet at another dude, and he's going to be punished, and everything before that isn't as important as that act. Joining us here in a second from NFL Network and his Move the Sticks podcast, Daniel Jeremiah. But first, State Farm. And now it's time for the State Farm Safe Bet of the Week. The Oakland Raiders, you can count on. You didn't expect me to be saying that, did you? You had all your John Gruden memes ready to go. And last year, your memes would have been timely. But not this year. This is a team that started off one and two and was away from home for six straight weeks. Okay? They had to play Chicago in London. So they get back home, close loss. Actually, the Green Bay loss wasn't close, but there was a competitive game. Then Carr had a fumble, close loss to Houston. You're still not sure what to do. They're three and four. Then they beat Detroit. They beat the Chargers. And now they're playing Cincinnati. The Oakland Raiders are sniffing the playoffs. And the reason why I say that against Cincinnati is because Cincinnati is terrible. 
They allow the most yards per game by like a good margin. I don't even know how they score 15 points a game. They've already benched your quarterback who got sacked all the time. They can't run the football. They're the third worst team when it comes to that. They're the fourth worst team in turnover differential. They have got mixing going a little bit there lately. But yes, I am telling you that you can count on the Oakland Raiders against the Cincinnati Bengals. If you're fumbling with insurance, State Farm agents are here to help because with over 19,000 agents, they're local to you and available to help. Whether you connect in person, by phone, or through the State Farm mobile app, agents are here to help. So go with the one that has coverage and agents you can count on. Kind of like how you can count on John Gruden in his second year and this squad to flirt with the playoffs at least until week 11. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. Let's talk to Daniel Jeremiah. As I said, I was lucky enough to be down there in Tuscaloosa on the sideline for my 12th Bama LSU game, Daniel. So you break it down. We know the numbers of, of draft picks. It was somewhere in the 20s, depending on who you asked. What did you see as far as NFL talent is concerned? We saw those two teams play last weekend. Yeah, it's uh, it was loaded, man. I, I've been to two of those games. Gosh, you've been to 12 times you've done that one? Uh, yeah. That's 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 legit. Yeah, look, there. I was there. Were you there for before we get into this one? Were you there for the Jamarcus Russell comeback game? Yeah. No, two thousand eight was my first one because it was Saban's first game back at Baton Rouge after he left. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I, I was at the Jamarcus Russell one, and then I w- I took my son. who was like he was like twelve at the time, and I was like, this is going to be a life changing experience. I'm taking him to LSU night game, Bama. Um, so this is a couple years ago really low scoring game. Um, I think Alabama might have been like 12, nothing or something like that. Is that what it was? Um, at halftime, he was like, dad, can we go? <laughs> this did not have the, the impact I was thinking it was going to have on my son. Uh, but the, uh, the environment was great for me. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I looked, when I looked at this game though, I mean, yeah, man, it just loaded the, the receiver. I think we'll look back like five years from now. Ryan and say like, this is one of the best games, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll count the number of NFL stud receivers in this game and we'll be floored with just how ridiculous it was. So how many NFL receivers are there? Because we know the depth of Bama, but now we're starting to realize this LSU crews up there too. Well, I mean, you've got the four for Bama that everybody knows about. Then um, you, you go to LSU. I, I did not know as much about Justin Jefferson until I really studied him this week. He is really, really good, man. Uh, you know, they've got the underclassman and Chase, who's a big-time player. Um, they've got a, a couple other guys that'll be, you know, fringe NFL guys. They're, you know, they're going to be around. But man, I, if you just take the if you just take the two studs from LSU, the four guys um, from Bama, I mean, all six of those guys have like Pro Bowl ability, which is ridiculous to have six Pro Bowl receivers participating in one game. I think that's I think that's very possible. God. Yeah, because I had sent you, and I'm sure you love this as a guy that, that studies it far more than I do, but when you were like, man, Jordan Jefferson. Like, you think Jefferson could be the number one receiver taken next year's draft? I, I don't think it's put to bed yet. I don't. I think that when you you look at everything I've been told people went in there, like, you get the, the 40 times that people tell you that they run, then you also get the GPS numbers, and the GPS numbers are off the charts for him. Now, it's Ruggs is on a different planet with how fast he's going to run. Uh, but Jefferson is going to run in the four threes. You know, he's, he's, he's got size. He's tough. He's a great route runner. He can play, he can work inside. He can work outside. Um, you know, Jerry Judy's in, is the, you know, is, an, is the best route runner in the country, no doubt. Um, but Judy's not the thickest guy. He's not the strongest guy. Um, and he has some drops. So, I mean, those are, you know, you're nitpicking at this point in time, but I, I've talked to teams around the, around the league that, that have rugs as the top receiver at Alabama, that, that Judy's not even a top receiver there. So that, wow. I just think that this is a, this is not a closed case at this point in time. Because one of my things with, with this, that I always have to remind myself and it's worth reminding everybody listening be like, well, wait a minute, why do you like Jefferson better than this guy? But when it's underclassmen, you guys just don't bother evaluating them. When it's somebody who's not going to be eligible, you have all, you have hundreds of players you have to watch anyway. Yeah. And somebody pops up. Cause I've always thought like Jamar was maybe the better playmaker, but, you know, really, that's the depth of this LSU receiving core. There's going to be different guys all the time. And that's been the same case with Bama, where there's even moments like watching Waddle return that punt. I'm like, there's no way it's closed off. And then he's up the left sideline. Yeah, right. And then Ruggs will have a play. 
But one thing that surprised me, like you're right about Judy and his hips and and the lack of thickness that maybe some of those other guys have. But what I've always liked about him is at the end of the play, he still wants to hit somebody. And maybe that's a different kind of toughness. And I'm not trying to <laughs> tell you to add this to your notes. Yeah. But he's not afraid <laughs> of anybody out there. And that's something, even if he's more slight, that I'm like, oh, man, like that's the part about Judy that I have to know. It's the route running first and foremost, but it's he's not some mm-hmm. dude who's who's looking to avoid everybody all the time, which is almost kind of rare in today's game. I, I almost wonder, though, because when I watched all those Alabama guys, none, none of the uh, the three that are draft eligible, we throw Devontae Smith in there, none of those guys go out of bounds. So sometimes that's something that's preached in the in the uh, position room, that they are just like, okay, hey, no, we're, uh, we don't run out of bounds. I remember the the uh, Terrell Davis used to always tell me about the Broncos. They had that rule with their running backs. They, they were not allowed to go out of bounds. Uh, so, I mean, all those guys, you know, compete in that way. No doubt. It's just, you know, Judy, he's, he is so loose and fluid um, and is such a polished route runner. But, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, okay, is he going to, does he have blow the doors off speed? No, not, not really. And then is he going to be able to just hold up working inside? I mean, that's, those are the, those are the nitpicking concerns there with Jerry Judy. But, uh, and the other thing, the bigger picture thing, Ryan is when you just look at the sheer number of receivers and uh, you know, in this draft class and I've got gosh, about eight or nine of them with, uh, with first round type grades. I don't know that, you know, but Jerry Judy is top five pick. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm taking Jerry Judy in top five when you tell me, I get some of these other guys in the second round um, and I can address offensive line, defensive line where there's not a sport, not quite the same amount of, uh, of dudes to pick from. So uh, that's something that will be factored in once we get to April. Yeah. It's a bit like the Mike Evans, Odell what was that Sammy Watkins as well. Yeah. 2014. Where, yeah. Right. I mean, no, it's a really good point. You're like, okay, if Judy's been, cause Judy feels like he's been the headliner throughout for this receiver class, at least in the mocks, but mm-hmm. it is a, great like if you're talking eight or nine which means maybe seven go and then somebody's like hey in the second round you start playing with the draft board it is a good point to be like maybe that the top receiver doesn't go as high as his talent says he should because of the depth yeah that, that's usually what it is when you're sitting when you're in the draft room and you're looking up at your board and you see the you know you have the positions left to right you know across the board and then you have the players underneath it going down and you look up and you see that stack of wide receivers where you're literally, and I've done this before, we're having to print smaller magnets because we can't fit them all up there because there's so many receivers that are being produced in the college game right now. And then you look over at the, you know, the offensive tackle board and you're like, wow, I hope we get one of those three guys because after those three guys, we don't have anybody to like the fourth round that we like. Um, that that kind of changes your decision-making process. Yeah, like where would CeeDee Lamb be in all of this? Because as far as hands... There's teams that have him as the best receiver in the draft. I, I'm not... I, I'm not. Look, I, I have the same I grade. I can argue I with the them. same grade on him. Yeah. Dude, after the catch, after the catch, he is so tough and so good. And then it, his high point skills, his ability on 50-50 balls, he's got outstanding hands. He can work inside, outside. I mean, when you look, like a lot of times it's good exercise. You know, as you go, just go look on, go look on a website, NFL.com, ESPN, whatever, and sort the receivers by who's playing well, like the production wise. And you're going to see a bunch of guys like Hopkins, like, like Juju, you know, over the last couple of years, you're going to see a Stefan Diggs. You're going to see Cooper cup this year. These guys all have something in common and that none of them are four, four guys. They're all four five type guys. And they're just all day tough. And they make contested catches and they work in traffic. Like that's kind of the way the NFL games played. And so when I look at CD lamb, I'm like, dude, this guy's got, he's not as thick, but he's got a lot of Hopkins to his game, man. I think he's, he's built for the NFL. Like I'm looking at a depth chart right now. And I mean, you know, look, Chase Claypool for Notre Dame, big kid, almost looks like Mm -hmm. one of those old school tight end wide receiver hybrids. And I mean, he might be the 15th best receiver in this class. <laughs> That's, yeah, I don't know where you ridiculous. have him. Yeah. I, and I'm, you know, this isn't a hey, stick up for Claypool segment, but how many other guys do you think at yeah. least, how many total, give me the names of all the people that you think are actually still in play to be like the first or second receiver taken? Okay. So, so from the guys that I've done thus far, these are, I'm talking about huge grades I have on these players right now. Uh, Jerry Judy is a, is a top for me. He's got Jefferson from LSU. We talked about CD Lamb, Ruggs. 
This kid from Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk, is a stud. I have him up there with that group. Um, you've got uh, Chenault from Colorado, KJ Hamler, this little speedster from Penn State. Um, Devontae Smith is just a little bit below those guys. And then, like, that's that's the top tier for me right now. You've got Rager up there, who's a speed guy from TCU. Um, and I haven't even done T. Higgins yet. So I haven't done T. Higgins. I haven't done KJ Hill from Ohio State. Uh, I mean, there's still a bunch of dudes that I still have yet to do. And that's a, that's a boatload of names. Michael Pittman from SC is like, he's got some Mike Williams type ball skills and, and size. Um, and he's going to be a second round pick, you know, or third round pick maybe with all these guys. Um, there's a kid at Liberty, uh, Antonio Gandy golden, who I watched the other day, who's a, who's a monster. He's huge. He's physical. Um, he's not going to run that fast, but he's going to be like a, you're going to get him in the fourth round with all these guys. So, um, yeah, it's, it's loaded, absolutely loaded group. Yeah. If you're a draft nerd, just go ahead after you listen to this podcast and just click on any of the sites you're right. Cause I was doing it this morning and like the Claypool one that jumped out at me. Cause every time I watch him, I'm like, man, he is a tough matchup. And you're like, wait a minute, some places have 20th in this class. It's not even, it's not me at home going, oh, this, this website sucks. It's like, this is insane. Okay. So we just did 10 minutes on receivers. So I think we need to not yep. avoid the headline here. And yeah. I came away from that game liking Tua even more. But if we're forced to do this, let, give me your Tua headline, what you think of him right now. And then I, I have a follow-up, sort of an exercise that, that I always make myself do, at least with NBA draft guys. All right? So give me your Tua right sure. now where you're at with him. Yeah, first of all, I uh, I did not get to watch this game on TV. So I went back and just watched the tape. So I, I, I kind of heard a little bit of the narrative coming out of the game. You know, Burrow clearly outplays Tua. Tua, you know, once again, doesn't play his best ball in a big game. You know, over the last, you know, we saw it last year at the end of the year. So that was kind of, I went into it. I was like, oh gosh, I guess he must play poor. And I watched the tape. And I'm like, man, if Judy catches that deep post, throw those yards on his, on his day. Um, I thought the guy, I thought he played well. I, I really did. Everything with him is so urgent and so sudden. Even when he's, he's got a banged up ankle, uh, you know, just quick feet. He works through progression so fast. Um, and people that, oh, he just throws slants and stuff. And I don't know. I saw him push the ball down the field in this game. I saw deep digs, tight window throws. Now he got caught with an underneath coverage. He didn't see a little buzz defender and threw a pick. Um, but overall, you know, and it being even somewhat limited with his ability to move around, I thought he competed. I mean, I like to, I, I still have him as the top guy. Um, I thought he was, I thought he was really good in that game. I, I just don't think their defense could stop anybody. And, and we can get to Burrow in a second, how well he played, but um, Alabama didn't lose that game because of, of Tua. Yeah. I thought he played well. Yeah. As far as his, his limited, you know, when they, they come right out, they've got the big run, like, Oh, here we go. Cause you know, before the game, I'm sitting there going, I don't know. You know, I get a text from somebody I really trust and be like, I have this, this sinking feeling that Bama's going to roll and I'm going, well, how could you not? Like, how could you not, especially over the last few years of how this game has played out? But if they're not going to beat him this year with this offense and this team and this NFL depth, like if they can't get him this year, at least make this a one-score game, then then when the hell is LSU ever going to get him? And then, you know, I've been around a team leading up to this game before where everything's really positive, really positive. LSU was almost arrogant before this game kicked off. Like, hey, we're going to beat these guys today. And I've never heard him like yeah. that. And that was kind of convincing. And then, like, right before – you know, it wasn't because of that, but a few people had asked me. I was like, I've been wavering, but I was like, you know, I'm just going to pick LSU because I'm picking LSU. But I didn't feel great about it. Um, but Tua, when he he had a big run off to the left side, where it's like, you know what, he he looks fine. And the great thing with him, even though he can run and scare you a little, he doesn't have to. You know, he's not somebody who has no. to have that element in his game to beat you because he's going to beat you with his arm. I thought he had a couple scrambles on third down where it looked like he had nothing. And he made something out of nothing. That big drive where he converted a third and 19, fourth and four, fourth and two. I'm going, you know, I, like I said, I left that game liking Tua even more as a prospect. But if we are forced to play the game of like, how does he end up being a bust? How would you, because I, I was talking to a team just this week and I was like, what do you think? And, he, and the guy that I talked to doesn't like Tua as much. And he was doing the, mm -hmm. he's got NFL guys everywhere. And I was like, yeah, okay, but the O-line is not what Bama's usually has at O-line, by the way. And he's like, yeah, whatever. He's like, it could be three or four first-rounders at, at running back and receiver. And he was like, when he has that first decisive throw, he gets behind it. But when it's a little bit more of a read and he reads coverages really, 
well, he can get a little bit into the pop-up thing where he's just throwing it up in the air for these receivers to run under, and those throws aren't going to work in the NFL. So I was really surprised, but I thought it was really interesting. And again, it's somebody that works for a team versus me just watching the games. Yeah, no, and there are there are two detractors out there. Um, I, I just it's funny to me, like because this is the this is the wound. Like as scouts, Ryan, and I'm sure it's like this in hoops too. But you have a mistake that you make. And then you're just, you see everything through that lens going forward and you ignore some other, you know, other examples along the way. So a lot of my scouting friends like, oh man, this feels like Matt Leinart all over again. Like he doesn't have like these wow traits. He's surrounded by great players. He puts up big numbers. They win a ton of games, but like really how good is he? And they always go back to this Matt Leinart one. And I'm like, guys, we could have said the same thing about Deshaun Watson with all the guys he was throwing to. He's turned out pretty well. Um, Baker Mayfield, you know, early on, you know, that was, you know, you know that was the, the talk there. Okay. Well, look at all the guys he's had around him. Nobody was said that with him and he's, he's doing just fine. And there's been a lot of good NFL quarterbacks who played with a lot of great players in college. Like we can't just use that to dismiss what they're doing. Um, and the other knock that I hear, some people feel like he throws a heavy ball. In, in other words, like it just looks like the ball's heavy. It doesn't look like it's, you know, it doesn't just pop. Like you watch, if you watch Herbert throw, it looks like he's throwing a pee. I mean, the ball jumps out of his hand and it's just, um, it just looks a little bit different and, and to his ball can have a little bit of a lag on it. So, um, those are the kind of the criticisms I see, but I, when I watch a lot of these NFL games and I see quick decisions ball out, you know, a lot of the stuff that he gets criticized for, he's a lot of slants, quick hitters, quick decisions. I'm like, that's Tom Brady and Drew Brees have been playing like that for the last 20 years. Like you can win a lot of football games playing the way Tua plays because he processes so fast got a quick release and he's, he's accurate and throws with anticipation. So um, he doesn't have a howitzer. He's not, you know, he's not the same level athlete that Russell Wilson is. Um, but I think the guy's really good. Where are you with Burrow then? I like Burrow a lot. I, I think he's, you know, I haven't put that to bed. I, I think it's, I think it's Tua and Burrow. And then for me, there's a little bit of a gap. Then I get to Herbert and the rest of the crew. Um, I've been, you know, I, Look, with Burrow, it's like, okay, what does he do well? Well, he's tough. He's accurate. Um, he makes good decisions. He's got poise. He can extend plays. And I'm like, that's pretty much the checklist. Like, that's what I want. He, again, he doesn't have a huge arm. Um, he's not, you know, doesn't have rare size. But, I mean, to me, all the things that are the most important about the position, I think of three things. I think of accuracy, decision-making, and poise. Um Man, you watch this kid this year. He's been nails in all three areas. So uh, I think he's in the mix. I think it's I think it's a two horse race with those guys. So you have Herbert third. Yeah, I have Herbert third. I went and saw him play against SC this year, um, and I think he's you know he just he needs to be in the right spot. If he's in the right spot, he could be outstanding at the next level. And what I mean is um, run game, play action, shots. Um, like one read throws, he can extend plays. You can move him around a little bit. Uh, he'll do great. I think if you're going to plop him as a lot of these teams do, just plop him in the gun, um, ask him just, you know, sit, sort and read and, and, uh, you know, work deep into progressions and be, you know, a precise, accurate passer. I think you'll be disappointed. So uh, I think you better know what you're buying and what you're going to ask him to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, I've, I've ended up liking him less this year from last year i just wanted to be more consistent he wins he wins warm-ups ryan i mean holy crud you go out there for there was a i was on the field before the game and there's like four or five of my scouting buddies he comes out the tunnel for warm-ups and everybody's just like whoa that's a, that, that dude's a big dude no he's he's incredibly impressive um and he ha, and he has moments throughout games where i'm like okay yeah this is this is why guys are still struggling with the decision on him, but uh, I don't know if I already brought this up on the podcast, so I apologize to the listeners if, if I did, but I've heard this from a few people now that his personality is not going to leave the room. Like when he has his interviews, the NFL team that interviews him isn't going to be like, all right, that's our alpha. That's the leader of our franchise for the next 10 years. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, like true. Roethlisberger was the king of that. Like I think Roethlisberger is one of the biggest phonies I've ever met in my entire life. But he could convince you in a room that he was going to lead your team. <laughs> you know, like he he had it down. And there's there's some gamesmanship to this where 
if Herbert doesn't figure that out, you know, I, look, a, a team's going to draft the guy. This guy's still probably going to go top 10 as quarterback. We all understand how the game works. But it's just something I consistently hear that you know, there's there's being humble and then there's being, like, real passive. And you don't want that to be yeah. your quarterback. That, that's true. It's interesting um, because the Pac-12 media days are not far from where I live. So we've set up our podcast down there for the last three years. And uh, and just it's it's actually like I feel like I'm running like a cover operation, um, like it's Argo or something like that, because I'm getting to talk to these prospects before they've got trained by agents. And then my buddies from around the league will call me like, okay, how was he? You know, they'll, they'll call me before the Pac-12 meeting today. Make sure, who are you talking to? I'll give them the list of guys. Okay, make sure you ask this guy this. Um, so I'm trying to get the answers and get, you know, before these guys get coached up. But I've talked to Herbert all three years because he's been there. And I'll say this, every year he's gotten more comfortable um, in those in that, in that setting. Just in, It's me and Bucky and him. Uh, it's just two former scouts and, and, and him. And he's gotten more comfortable in his own skin each year. And this last year, I just asked him, I was like, look, you're going to get asked by every team when you come into the draft process is going to be you're, you know, a Northwest guy who went to school in the Northwest and you're going to get drafted. You know, you're not going to, if you're not going to pick by the Seahawks, you're going to go somewhere else. And how is your personality going to play? How are you going to be able to interact with people just outside this little region of the country? Like, how is that, how's that going to fit? How are you going to fit? And I thought he actually had a pretty good answer because he was, you know, look, Oregon, we recruit, you know, across the country. Um, so we have kids from all over the place. So I've had a chance to develop these relationships with, with guys, you know, from all different backgrounds. And, and when I talk to other, some other guys on that team and other coaches, they do say he does, he, he's, you know, I think he's going to do it in a little bit quieter fashion, but I left that conversation feeling at least a little more comfortable about that, that issue. I want to ask Jeremiah about LSU Ohio State based on his breakdown of of scouting guys, but we've got some ads to read, so let's get excited. DraftKings, my friends over at DraftKings, these guys get it. They've launched an online sportsbook created by sports fans for sports fans, and here's real good news if you live in Pennsylvania. It's now available for you in your state, and trust me, DraftKings is hard at work bringing their sportsbook app, which happens to be America's top-rated sportsbook app everywhere. The DraftKings Sportsbook app has it all. Over-unders, player props, in-game betting, and special odds boost every day for the biggest games. This isn't some offshore operation like other gambling sites. It's a legitimate sports Sportsbook based right here in the U.S. So you can rest assured that your funds are totally secure. DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, has brought their expertise to legal sports betting. Get into the action whenever, whenever in the Keystone State. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code RUSSILLO, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, when you sign up. For a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's code RUSSILLO to get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Deposit bonus requires 25-time playthrough. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also, recently, our boys at VPN let us know this, recently over 100 million people had their personal information stolen in a major data breach. Social security numbers, contact details, credit scores, and more all taken from Capital One customers. These kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe. It's not just Capital One, Equifax. Facebook, eBay, Uber, PlayStation, and Yahoo all have leaked passwords, credit cards, and bank numbers belonging to billions of users. That's why you need ExpressVPN. You can't control how big corporations mishandle your data, but you can protect yourself. ExpressVPN is an app for your computer and phone that encrypts, secures your data, and if you care about your privacy and safety, you shouldn't go online without ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN connects with just one click. It's lightning fast, costs less than 7 bucks a month. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN provider by TechRadar, CNET, The Verge, and countless others. Go to expressvpn.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, right now to arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show and protect yourself. That's expressvpn.com slash Russillo for an extra three months months free even though you know your eye is is just different i imagine you still end up with an opinion breaking down you know ohio state draft eligible players and then breaking down lsu so based on what you've seen how would you think those two teams would match up it's gonna be i just pray we get it man i I hope that nobody stubs their toe on the way to the on the way to this game um so we can see it because the secondary for Ohio State's one of the best that I've seen. 
you know, collection of NFL players in their secondary. Um, Okuda, I think, is a top five pick all day long. I think Arnett's like a like a late, uh, you know, late one, early two uh, type player. Sean Wade, who's their nickel, is a second round type player. So these are legit dudes um, to get them matched up against those receivers that we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, that would be phenomenal. Um, you know, I think that's almost, I can make a case that that I might lean towards Ohio state in that. And then when I look at the D line for Ohio state versus LSU's offensive line, I think LSU has got a good offensive line, but they have nobody that's going to be able to handle chase young. Um, so I think that would, would be in their advantage as well. I think really the, the fascinating thing is I think the game kind of comes down to, um, you know, the experience of Joe Burrow and versus a little bit younger player there that the in fields. And I mean, I, if you're asking me right now, everything taking it all into account, LSU's defense, I think has a lot of, a lot of really good players. If you put it in NFL uh, terms, I think with Delpit's probably a mid mid one. And then after that chase on is probably a two um, the young kids, you know, the young corners of, you know, he didn't play his best game against Alabama, but he's a freak show and he's, he's a special player. But I still think, uh, you know, when you match that up, with with Ohio State and their wide receivers, I think that's I think that's more of a wash. Um, so I, I would give the edge to Ohio State's defense versus LSU's offense, and I think when you flip it over to the other side, I think it's more of a wash. So I would I would probably lean Ohio State in that one. Can you, you know, my argument for LSU has been, and and just to revisit it with you here, if somebody is telling me, I think Ohio State would beat LSU, I think Ohio State is the number one team in the country, based on everything I've seen, I couldn't tell that person, hey, you're wrong. But we know LSU's four wins are far superior to Ohio State's four wins. I, I don't know how that's debatable. Yes, yeah, um, but, for sure. But Buckeyes fans would, would certainly make up some stuff and go, no, strength of schedule, if you align Pluto this way, you know, and all this stuff, uh, which every <laughs> fan base does, but Ohio State's always a little bit extra with it. So when you're watching Ohio State dominate the teams they've gone up against can you then project like hey i actually don't care who their best wins are like how crisp they are their execution on offense like i've watched ohio state this year on offense being like if they wanted to score 100 points in this game i think they could yeah. and that's like are you able to do that and go i don't care the opposition some of these things are so clear that that i'm okay with who they haven't played i i am and i mean i need to do I have more work to do on their offensive guys. I haven't done Dobbins. There's people that think Dobbins is the best running back in the draft. You know, on some teams that I've talked to, they love him. I haven't had a chance to, to dig in and watch him yet. I, I've peaked some of the receivers. Um, I haven't done KJ Hill yet, but uh, so, I mean, they've got, they've got NFL guys over there. My thing is I just look at their defense and I look at the, the talent of those guys. And I look at the sheer number of first and second round picks that they have. And I really don't care who they're playing against. I mean, that's just, it's going to overwhelm just about everybody they play. Now, LSU, um, now LSU, when I look around the country, I think LSU and Bama, I mean, those are, you know, those are teams that can stack up. I still think, I still think it, it leans towards Ohio state. I just think they got better dudes, man. Yeah. No, no counter to that one. And because I, even though I think LSU's defense is better than, um, look, statistically going into the Bama game, it was much better than people thought. And it's still, I think 30th in yards allowed per play which isn't great, especially by LSU standards. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, you know, this thing all year long where people are acting like it's this defense that can't get any stops, and they allowed one offensive possession touchdown the first 40 minutes of the game at Tuscaloosa uh, until all <laughs> hell broke loose at the end of it. Um, do you watch, do you watch yeah. a team that's at the top that you're actually, you can't believe how well they're doing it without NFL talent? Well, I mean, I think Minnesota and Baylor uh, – you know, I, I was, I was, I look, I'll, I'll admit it. I said, you know, PJ Fleck, genius move to get that contract done, take the Florida State momentum, get that contract negotiated, get that thing signed before Penn State blows your doors off. And, uh, and they went and won that game. So I didn't see that coming. And then Baylor, you know, I know the schedule hasn't been, you know, all that ridiculous, but I was there. I went and spent time with them and, and visited with their team uh, after Rule's first year. So going into last year before last season and it didn't have a lot of dudes, man. And it was so bad when he got there. I, I, I'm a biggest Matt rule fan there is, but I did not think he would get them to this point this fast. So uh, those would be the two that I would probably be the most surprised about. Okay. Five questions. 
sometimes rapid fire, sometimes not rapid fire to close it out here with Daniel. Give me, other than Chase Young, which we can't do, he's not allowed to be an answer here, um, a defensive player you're absolutely falling in love with here as the season's finishing up. Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, I'll tell you what, who would have been, uh, the way he started the season would have been Kinlaw at South Carolina, but then he's gotten worse as we've, uh, as we've come down the stretch here. So, um, I'll pun on that one. I'll go with Simmons. I'll go Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. He's just, he's so good, man. He can do so many different things and so many teams are looking for, for linebackers that can, uh, you know, can cover tight ends. You can rush him a little bit if you want. Uh, he's just a real versatile, explosive player. Okay, give me a quarterback that you still hold out hope for that's in the NFL now that's given you no evidence that you should still be holding out hope for this quarterback. Uh, look, I'm, I was a big Sam Darnold guy coming in, and that hasn't been great this year, obviously. I just think that, you know, I'm not, I think he's got a chance not only to be, a, you know, survive as a starter, I still think he's got a chance to be really, really good, man. They just, they have no offensive line. Um, there's not a lot of weapons around him. The poor tight ends, like their their best guy, and he can't stay healthy in Herndon. Um, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that one. I think some people might have punted on him already. I wouldn't do that. Did you ever, as a former player, sort of, um, did you ever have to like run routes when you were working in a front office because they needed bodies? Did you ever have to like throw? Oh yeah. Well, I threw. I would throw all the. Uh, I would throw all the linebacker workouts. So when you go to like these pro days. And you kind of, you're with the same group of scouts. Like if you're on the West coast scout in the West coast, um, you're just going from school to school during pro day season. And so you kind of assign different drills to different people. And, uh, you know, the court, you have a quarterback there that throws to the receivers, you know, with that, with that graduating class usually. Um, but when like you're working out defensive players, specifically linebackers, somehow, like I became the throwing quarterback, dude, I would have to like, I'd go home. I can remember like leaving San Diego state when they had uh, Kirk Morrison, when he was coming out and it was like driving rain. And, um, I threw this pro day and the ball was so wet. And so it got so heavy and dude, my arm, like I thought, I'm like, I'm going to have to have shoulder surgery because I'm just throwing linebacker workouts. Like what is wrong with me? Um, but yeah, I, I had to be that guy. I did not, I did not enjoy it. What was your best story then from throwing that was there ever anybody who was wondering, there has to be at least one story in all these travels where you were throwing in some of these workouts where somebody either was really impressed with you or maybe not impressed. I don't know. There has to be something there. Oh gosh. That's a, that's a great question. Cause your Kyle um, Bowler story, the, the pickup hoops thing is still my all time history of podcasts <laughs> when you realize well, that Bowler yeah. wasn't going to be a great quarterback because he couldn't read the screen. Well, that was not good. That was a, that was a bad omen. Um, gosh, <laughs> You know what? I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears because I'm gonna go with not in my scouting career. I, I haven't told you my sky cam story. I don't think have I, Ryan? No, I can't wait though. So, so I'm working. Uh, I'm working right out of college. I get hired by Jay Rothman and Chip Dean, who I'm sure you know. They're over there at ESPN. They were doing Sunday Night Football, and this is my first job. So I'm a spotter up in the booth. This is the Joe Theismann, Paul McGuire uh, era. And, Mike uh, Patrick. Yeah. and, uh, Mike Patrick. Yes. who's was awesome. What a great guy. So I'm, I'm this young guy that's just hired. I'm, I'm just a behind the scenes guy. I'm a spotter. I'm also the ENG producer, which I mean, you're going around with camera guys who've shot these scenic shots for 20 years. And I'm basically like, I'm not telling these guys what to do. I don't know anything about camera work. I'm just basically making the phone call to make sure we can get into the building. We need to get in to shoot. So, um, that was my job. So, I, one of our first games that year, we were playing. There was a there was a game, the Giants game, and uh, they said in our and I get in there like a Thursday for a Sunday game, and they said, "Hey, there's this new technology, this thing called a sky cam. There's these cables, and it's a camera attached to them, and it kind of like flies around. But we're we're gonna we're you know we want to use it in a game, but we've got to you got to experiment with it a little bit and give it a test run. So." we know you played quarterback in college. Can you just go round up a bunch of guys from the crew and we're going to just get them out there. You can, we're going to run a bunch of routes out here at the, at the Meadowlands and let, uh, let the camera kind of follow you around so they can test this thing out. So it's the kickoff game, Ryan. So the, you know, it's like the first year, one of the first years they had concerts like the, before the NFL season to kick it off. Before so the this Genesis is Bon Jovi's going to, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the before the epic Genesis halftime show. Um, so they've got Bon Jovi is going to do it. So I'm out there with a bunch of these, you know, uh, grunts out there, and we're um, we're running routes, and this camera's flying around, so we're, nobody's ever seen anything like this. And then uh, Bon Jovi's doing his sound check, and he sees us just throwing the ball around, and so he comes over, he's like, "Yeah, I want to get in on this." I'm like, yeah, you're my ex, dude. Go out there. This is so I'm I'm literally throwing routes to John Bon Jovi while the Skycam is being tested out to see if this thing is a useful idea. Um, and I, I remember just going back and like, my life does not get any better than this. Like this is like the high point. It's all downhill from here. Did he was he good? How were his routes? How were his hands? No, he was not. He was not obviously size was not not in his favor. Um I think I maybe threw him a ball and then I was basically he was, you know, just using him to run off coverage. Okay. Uh, last one here. You can, you can, uh, you can pick. You mentioned the Bama guys having that rule about not going out of bounds. You mentioned Terrell Davis saying all the running backs in our room, you can't go out of bounds. Was there any great rule that you can share with us that you had with your time? I'm assuming probably more so with your Ravens front office run, or you can tell me your favorite draft day story where it got, I don't know, really dramatic. Something went wrong. Maybe something you haven't shared. Um, we, we were in like the sixth round and, uh, we had this receiver out of Northern Arizona. That was in Baltimore, uh, that we really liked fifth or sixth round. I can't remember. Um, but his name was Clarence Moore. And so, uh, one of the things you had to do when you're getting ready to pick somebody, you want to make sure they're not dead. So you always call them. You see the video when you're watching the draft, the guys get on the phone. It's not just to congratulate them. You want to make sure the guy's okay and all that. So, um, you always do that and you always wait until you've made the decision. And, uh, so we're like, okay, a couple minutes left on the clock. Okay. Clarence Moore, call him. We're taking him. So call him and then uh, hand the phone off to the owner, Steve Bishotti, and he's congratulating him. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and I, I don't remember if it was, if it was Ozzy, Ozzy Newsom or if Costa, but somehow we got a, like literally last minute trade offer to trade out of the pick, which they decided to do. And so here I, I'm a young guy. I'm looking at our owner and I'm like, like looking at Mr. Bashadi, like you've got to get off the phone with this guy. Like we're not picking him. We're trading. And he, the, he's trying to figure out how do I end this call? Like this guy's just crying tears of joy, the happiest day of his life. We've just picked you. You're a Baltimore Raven. Then it's like literally like, uh, uh, gotta go. Uh, no, sorry. And then like, just, it was the most uncomfortable thing. And then I was the one when we, uh, when we had traded down a ways, he was still there when we had our next pick. So to call him back and it was the most, he was not happy, like calling him, like celebrate being picked. And, uh, and he was like, not, it was just an awkward, weird conversation. Like, no, this time for real. Yeah, we are. No. Yep. We're going to pick you this time. No, I know. Sorry about that. Yeah. Crazy thing. But uh, this, no, this is good. This is real. This is, this is real. I know you already talked to the owner, so we don't even do that again. But anyways, uh, let me give you to, uh, let me give you the head coach. It was a very awkward, awkward draft phone call. Big dude, 6'6", 220, Clarence Kelly Moore out of Northern Arizona with the 199th pick, and he ended up uh, he ended up playing, I don't know, a bunch of games that first year, and then what, did he get hurt or something? Yeah. I think he had a, t- he had a couple touchdowns. I know, like, we, we, uh, he we threw four a couple balls. Year. And, yeah, yeah, Billick, I know Billick called him Stretch. That was his uh, not-so-creative nickname, but, um, uh, yeah, it didn't last that long. But he had a good couple couple games there. Good stuff. All right. He is Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network, and at Move the Sticks on Twitter. His Move the Sticks podcast is a must-listen for NFL and draft people. So, as always, man, enjoy the weekend. Thank you. You're the best. See you, bud. Okay. Hope you uh, enjoyed the pod today. And, you know, I guess uh, I don't really have a ton to say. What do you got planned, Kyle? Uh, It was my birthday on Tuesday. I might get a little silly this weekend. Oh, no. Happy birthday. Thanks, what are you going to dress up as? Dress up as? Oh, I Fuck thought. you, huh? You guys, aren't, you guys aren't still celebrating Halloween? No. No, I hate Halloween. I'm just going to uh, get silly, man. I'm going to get my own insurance this year, get my shit together. So, um, What does you getting your shit together entail? Give me that. T- like, what's your to-do list look like? 
Uh, well, got to stop taking the bus and riding these bikes around town and maybe figure out how to get a car, you know? You don't own a car? Dude, I got one when I came out here. Uh, I used all my college graduation work money and bought a lemon. It was a convertible, though, and the transmission went. And then, you know, now I take the bus and scooters and bikes and try not to get hit, you know? You're a big bike guy, huh? Yeah, the electric bikes, you know? My regular bike got stolen a while ago, so. <laughs> Where do you live? I'm like a West Hollywood. I'm uh, right in the thick of it. You are in it, huh? What's yeah. your favorite club to go to? Are club? you a club guy? Oh, I'm not a club guy, dude. I hate the club. Yeah, but you never go like every now and then. You kind of no, get I do. Itch. I go and I stand around, and I'm like, oh, we don't have a seat. Cool. I guess I'll stand by this bar and pay seventeen dollars. So you know, I go to the bars where they take care of me. <laughs> I think we need to do, we need to do some sort of package where you get to hang out with Kyle. Like, forget these high end ones. Like a charity buzz? The, yeah, we get the full <laughs> Kyle experience. Like, what's your go-to night? Are you a Thursday night guy because you're so young? Oh, dude, I used to go every night. Now it's like, yeah, that, well, no, because now I got you a Friday morning. So, you know, I got to take it easy. You know, it used to <laughs> Did be, you used go to, out last night? No, I didn't. I didn't. I did not. So I'm like a Friday, <laughs> Saturday guy. No. Maybe, maybe you're Monday just, night you're football. A you're a grown-up weekend drinker? Yeah. How yeah. Old, are you 25? Yeah, 26? yeah, I'll be 26 in like 2 3 days. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're really young. Um I remember the first time one of my my friend, I think we were all like 25, 26 and and the guy was like, "Yeah, I only go out Friday or Saturday." And we were like, "What?" <laughs> like, what the hell's wrong with you, dude? No, you can't be fucking up the Bill Simmons Ryan Rosillo podcast. No, but it was like the first realization oh, of I see. of a group you know, because when you're younger, you just go, you know, everybody. Yeah, so what time first are we of all, college, up? Right? <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. First of all, the college. And then as soon as those first few years out of college, it's like, okay, well, I go out Fridays and Saturdays. I think my favorite was always kind of the Thursday happy hour crew that would go to work or, you know, they like, oh, no way you wear a suit to work. And now you're having a couple, <laughs> couple sarsaparillas at a place with like a window, you know, thing where the doors are open and everybody, you know, everybody looks the same and they're all dressed up. But I mean, you know, these are all just things you do. Like now I walk by that crew and go, see, I never had a suit though. So I didn't, I didn't do that. So if I went to like a bigger city to go visit friends and to do that, it would be like, oh, you guys are all in your suits. You'd be the so, odd guy out in your tech pants or something. <laughs> no, I wasn't wearing tight pants back then. Oh, okay. I mean, tight pants, tight pants were not cool. Yeah, now new, I'm new like, development. Can't now I'm enough. trying to figure out how skinny is too skinny for That's a pair of jeans for a 40-year-old, you know? <laughs> Did I tell you that I went to, uh, I don't think I, t maybe I didn't tell anybody the story because I shouldn't because it's so lame. But <laughs> the rag and bone jean situation right now is on fire. Rag and bone's got the best jean in the game. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's you know, man. The crotch blowout, though. I'm, I'm trying to not to let them go, but they got a huge, uh, huge It's tough. I don't crotch. know. I don't know. We If anybody... That ringer says, does Rosilla want to do reads for Rag and Bone? You can tell him yes. Gotcha. So the first time I tried on the Rag and Bone skinny jean, I was like, come on, man. I'm like, you can't do this. <laughs> you know? And despite for all the leg day jokes, like I have I have thick legs, man. I don't have to tell you. Um, and so the guy was like, hey, they look great. <laughs> like, do they? <laughs> yeah, that, thanks. For, and thanks he's like, look, I, he goes, just trust me. They stretch a little bit because it's a one. You know the game. It's a one, two, and three on rag and bone jeans. Right. And these are twos. And I was like, can I? He goes, look, they're going to stretch a little. He goes, but they wash, they come back. He's like, I'm telling you the most comfortable thing. They look good. He's like, you're, you're good. You're good here. I was like, all right. And you know what? They're the favorite pair of jeans I have right now. I can't, I can't wear them enough. I so hope, I hope the crotch holds up, buddy. I hope so too. I'm probably not. They're probably in and out of rotation a little bit more than you know. Say yeah, you're right. A guy that has less jeans. You're right about that. So, <laughs> to finish the story, because now I can't even believe I'm doing this, but whatever. I go back to the New York one because it was like the last stretch that I was going to have probably in New York for ESPN stuff, and that would be like you know I'd go out there every few months and look at some stuff, and they used to take care of me. You know, they do like a little. A lot of those shops, you're like, hey, you know, can we work on something? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, 10, 15% off, not a big deal. NBD, just on TV. And so the guy's like, hey, I, I brought you some jeans. And he starts throwing some ones at me. And I go, what you, I go, what are you doing? I'm like, these aren't going to fit me. And he looked at me and he said, hey, he's like, your legs aren't that big. They're pretty skinny, you know? So he's like, you'll be fine. <laughs> so now I'm furious at this guy for saying that to me. And by the way, here's another thing for retail shops. You should have mandatory breath checks every 30 minutes to an hour for every one of your people. Okay? 
because there's just not look sometimes people have bad breath some people always have bad breath but some people just have it at times i mean i'm I, look i know i've had bad breath at times you eat the wrong thing you don't take care of it you know what i'm saying like it happens but if you're a shop owner manager <laughs> you should have mandatory breath checks on all of your salespeople because there's nothing that makes me want to buy jeans less than bad breath but even more so than bad breath is insulting my legs so when he said you'll fit in the ones your legs aren't that big i'm already hate trying on this stuff and despite the stack of you know let's say a healthy credit card bill worth of clothes that i'm thinking of just because I, it's easier for me to shop when I went to New York City than when living in Los Angeles because I don't feel like driving up to go shopping. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do. You never want to drive anywhere when you live here. And then to be like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Go to a mall and sit in traffic for an hour to go to the mall. Peace. No thanks. So I try the first pair of ones on. I can't even get them over my calf. And I just go, fuck this guy. You should have flexed in him and busted out of him just to show him. You know, and I'm like doing <laughs> exasperated theatrical like, oh my, oh my, this fucking guy. What but legs, fucking bad breath, and uh, I took the jeans off. I left everything. I go, hey man, I'm out of here. And he was like, what? You know, nothing fit. I'm like, I couldn't even get them over my calves, and I left. So I'm a loser. Enjoy your weekend, Kyle. Happy birthday. Thanks, buddy. <laughs>